If you aren't able to have a tough conversation, it's difficult to be a leader. Now, there's a huge chunk of the population who don't feel comfortable with that because that's the way they're wired. But you can still have the conversation, deal with the facts and not get captured by judgments and opinions. Hello, I'm Andrew May and this is the NAB Business Fit Podcast, where we talk to experts in a range of fields, delving into their world to find out what fuels them and apply lessons in running a small business. We have conversations about how they've adapted to new ways of working and also lessons learned in these challenging times. Today's guest first inspired me back in year 10 at St. John's College in Dubbo many, many years ago. I think it must have been about 1989. He's a high school teacher, a rugby league hall of famer, NRL commentator, Balmain Tigers captain and coach, New South Wales and Australian representative. He's in the 100 greatest players of all time, leadership expert. He's got a band. He's a musician. I know he's a fitness enthusiast. I saw him in the gym this morning wearing a very (laughs) sharp, tight singlet, ocean kayaker and recently captain of Apollo. Wayne Pierce, welcome to the podcast. Amazing. Great to be on board. I didn't realise I'd done all that sort of stuff, but uh, yeah, thanks for the big wrap. We've had a number of people say, oh, when I'm reading this out. Oh, who is that? Oh, it's you. It's you. <laughs> it's right. I didn't realise it was me. <laughs> now, you probably don't remember because you went to lots of schools, but I was in year 10, so I would have been 15 years of age, and you came out and spoke to our school. And at that stage, you were the, the number eight lock for Balmain. You were playing for New South Wales and Australia. My year, Bernard Wilson, uh, who went on to play NRL, Brandon Pearson went on to play as well. I didn't play rugby league. But you inspired me because at that age, young men, or we're developing into young men, it's very much peer pressure. And a number of my mates, who are still my mates, uh, weren't into fitness as much as you were. And I sat there and you were talking about discipline and hydration and nutrition. And I was a runner. And being a middle distance runner in a Dubbo footy community wasn't really cool. But I wanted to thank you and to take that opportunity because I think when people inspire you along the way, it's nice to thank them. You planted a seed in my mind then that you can have a healthy life and have fun at the same time. Yeah, well, a lot of people don't realise you can. I mean, we get we get captured by the advertising and by the cultural drinking and, um, you know, the fact that having a good time is about partying and, and going out there and wiping yourself out and doing all that sort of stuff. But I learned at a very young age that you don't need to do that sort of stuff and um, you can still have fun and and. That's, I actually went to about 500 schools over uh, a three-year period back in the in, in the in the 80s there and uh, right around New South Wales. And for me, that was really satisfying because, uh, like yourself, there's so many people all these years later I run into that said, oh, yeah, there was a message in what you shared with me. And, and from, from my perspective, you know, that, that – Really, it is adds a lot of value to, to the to the work that I do. Mm. So five hundred schools—that's a lot. So I didn't <laughs> well, expect you to go right now. But I do yeah. remember. I do remember. I can't remember you individually, but I do remember the trip to Dubbo. There were three hundred kids. So if you, <laughs> man, if you remember me individually, you are no, a savant. I'll be you're telling a, the porky. You're a clever man, but I didn't know you were, you were that, that next level. Now, I was in the gym this morning at our local fitness first, and I was with a mate of mine, Holt, who I used to run with, and it was Holt's first time back in the gym, and I don't know, you're probably thinking, where am I going with this story? And I said, so, Holty, what, what do you want to look like? And he looked over, and he said, that guy, I want to have arms like him. It was you. We ran into you. <laughs> so, it was just so fortuitous that we are in the gym this morning, and you ran into us, and Holt said, yeah, I want arms like him. Yeah. So, you must be in your 40s now. I'm trying to do the math. I wish, yeah, sure, mate. Yeah, I wish I was. <laughs> I turned 60 earlier this year. So, um, yeah, so we're all getting on. Um, but you know, for me, it, it, it's people say, well, you know, what's it like to, uh, to exercise and to, to, uh, to do what you do, you know? And I say, well, 
it's like asking a fish what's water like. You don't know any different. Um, and I, I, because, I, because I got into the exercise kick or exercise r- routine, you know, in my early teens, um, you know, sort of around 14, 15, I started really getting into it. And since then it's become part of what I do and, and you know, the diet and the exercise and, and the, 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 the meditation, you know, all that sort of stuff really, for me, it's a way of life and uh, it's, it's really helped me in so many ways. It was just hilarious. I'm in the gym and he did, he said, I want to have arms like him. I was like, oh, I'm talking to him later today. <laughs> I, think, I think you might be telling a few story, a story no, there. Not at all. So you, you're doing well on that. So how, how does your training look? Like what does an average week look like for you? And not just the physical, what do you also do to keep your mind healthy and active? Yeah, well, every morning when I get up, first thing I do is I meditate um, and it's, it's usually around about 20 minutes. And for me, that really calibrates my, my state of, of mind. Um, and then some days I, don't, don't, I won't train because I've got, uh, I've got a full day, a really big day. But uh, over the course of a week, I averages out, I'll do probably four sessions a week. If I can, I'd love to do work, do sessions every day. In COVID, I was. That was the great thing about COVID. It taught me to slow down. But generally, my, my exercise, my, my passion is uh, exercise-wise nowadays because my knees are pretty worn. Uh, it's 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 skiing. Um, uh, skis on the harbour, kayak basically on the harbour. And I've seen you with you, you and your mates coming off having yeah, a chat. It's it's yeah. like cycling groups, isn't it? Kayaking groups. We've seen a lot in COVID. It's like men's shed or men's therapy You're out there paddling. It is having I, a good chat. Yeah, I only started that type of exercise on the water uh, probably seven years ago when I moved into near Sydney near near the water and um, just love it. It's really really good. Uh, but I also mix up with the weights. I like doing some weights and I. Do, like doing a little bit of boxing as well. So, uh, but mixing it up, I think variety is so important. And, and added to that, of an afternoon, I'm, I don't count as exercise, but I go for a walk with my wife and the dog. Uh, so for me, yeah, it's just mixing it up. I mean, so many people, I think, think that it's a grind to do exercise. But once you get into it and you allow yourself to experience what you feel like when you get fit and healthy, um, it, it's it's it just self. Motivating. Natural drug. I'm just wondering if there's many footballers of your era who would start the day meditating for 15 to 20 minutes. Is that is that something you did as a footballer or is that something you've picked up? No, no. I've only years? only picked it up probably about 10 years ago. Uh, I actually thought, you know, even though I was right into the health and fitness for so long, I actually resisted the meditation because I'd see people you know, sitting on mountainsides doing it and, and, and you'd hear these people going to these retreats for three-day retreats where they don't talk and they meditate for three days and I'm thinking this, this is weird. But I actually got into it because I was running a seminar for a, for a client uh, who wanted to, to just get this guy in to do a meditation session with the class. Mm-hmm. And the, the type of meditation and the session that he did was uh, something that I joined in with and it was really – yeah, for me, it was really enjoyable. It was practical. And yeah, for me, that's that's the sort of space I've gone into. And uh, yeah, it really does make a difference to 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 the way I start the day. And and sometimes if if it's uh, if I've got a break during the day and it's been a bit, a bit stressful, I'll actually meditate again later on in the day, but always start the day with it. Mm-hmm. Um, something you said when you did one of those 500 school visits, I still remember to this day. And I think a lot of people went, huh, did, did, did we really hear that? You said you don't drink alcohol. And I think for you coming to country New South Wales and saying that, that was bold for you, like to stand up there, like very, very good message for young men. But I think a lot of guys then went, oh, so 
you know, Wayne Pearce plays for Balmain, <laughs> plays for New South Wales, plays for Australia, are some different role modelling because I think a lot of young men and young women see the only way to have fun and celebrate is through alcohol. Yeah. So that's something you've carried in your whole life. Yeah, yeah, I, it was uh, or it is I should say. I mean it, it originated um, out of some pain that was associated with alcohol when I was young because uh, my father was an alcoholic. Um, he drank way too much. When he was sober, um, he was compassionate and friendly and loving and stuff like that. But when he got drunk, uh, quite often actually, he'd come home and and uh, was my memories, because he died when I was 14, my memories of him was that um, he was aggressive and uh, there was yeah, things that I, I rather would have not have experienced that um, – that I attributed to him being drunk. So I saw alcohol as, as not being uh, something that I wanted to do because I thought it changed him for the worse. And so I just never started. And because I never started, it was it was uh, easy for me to, to not drink later on in life. Although having said that, when I came into playing first grade, there was a lot of pressure then, peer pressure for me to, to do what the boys do to bond, and that is to get it, go to the pub after training and drink and stuff like that. So it was tough when I, the first few months that I came into the, the, the professional level or semi-professional was called back then. Uh, but I stood my ground and then the guys realised, that hang on a sec, he can drive us home. So they actually encouraged me not to drink because <laughs> I was the only one not drinking. <laughs> okay, let's keep him and let's get a Mitsubishi L300. Exactly. Give him the keys. <laughs> exactly. So I had to get a minibus licence then. <laughs> <laughs> I can hear the, the pain and the emotion in your voice when you say that. So but your father passing away at 40, that's a big thing. Yeah. Big thing. And having to process that at a young age, it's huge, right? Had to, to, you would have grown up really quick. You would have grown yeah, up really oh, yeah. fast. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, that was a real turning point in my – if there was a point every, – every one of us, I think, we're, track, we're, we're heading down a path and there's so many different turns and, and, and uh, offshoots that we can take at some particular point. But this was a – yeah, this was definitely a, a, a T-junction in the road. Was I going to go left or right when my father died? And, um, you know, I went off the rails for, for, for a short period of time where I just couldn't deal with it and uh, was aggressive and doing a whole lot of stuff. And, and uh, fortunately for me, I had a mentor, an older uh, friend, of, friend of my dad's who took me under his wing and, and my mum I was frustrated with and she was trying to do her best but I really took notice uh, of this, this gentleman, Mr. Kokas, his name was, he's still alive, um, and he, he – uh, Gave me the, the, the encouragement, the um, and and the the guidance, to, and and got me to set goals. You know that was the big thing. It was about setting goals, and he gave me the belief uh, in myself, uh, or inspired the belief in myself that I could do things. And when I started to achieve stuff because I'd set goals, which I'd never done before, then I started to have more belief. And belief, you know, it's the tonic for all of us. If you believe you can, you're halfway there. And you had a role model. I love the respect. You still call him Mr. Cocos to this day? Uh, I haven't spoken to him for a while, but uh, it, no, it was, he said, no, nah, when, I, when, I, when I actually grew up uh, and, and reconnected with him, it was Mick. Mick, Mick okay. Yeah, Mick, yeah. Yeah. I have a teacher that really influenced me, Mr. Larkin. I still can't call him Mick. His name's Mick Larkin. <laughs> and he's now in his 50s, mid-50s, and I saw him recently. I'm still hello, Mr. Larkin. He said yeah. the same thing. You can call me <laughs> Mick. <laughs> um, Fountain of Youth. Longevity. How long do you want to pencil in? Like I personally want to live to 100 plus and I've openly said on this podcast I'd love to go to 130 with but 130 healthy years. 
So with uh, NMN and resveratrol and exercise and not drinking and all that stuff, have you got an age you'd like to get to? This is not um, a question that you normally get asked in a podcast, is it? No, it's not. But having said that, I mean, I, I, I honestly don't, I don't uh, have any ambitions of how old I want to live to, but I have a lot of ambitions what I want to achieve whilst I'm here. Uh, and and to, to that point, I read a great book uh, just recently called The World is Faster Than You Think and I could strongly recommend it. It talks about and looks at all the changes that are actually happening in the world and that have happened. And, for example, um, you know, Uber at the moment uh, are, are researching flying cars and they reckon that they'll have in America Uber transport by the, by 2027. Anyhow, yeah. there's a whole lot of stuff going on in this space of longevity and and, and biomedicine and except all that sort of stuff. So there's a yeah, lifespan is going to be, I think, a lot longer than a lot of people. Give me a think. number. Um, a number for what? I'll ask you another another way <laughs> on how long you want to go for. Oh, in, yeah, in- I mean, I, I mean, I'd like to to go. Yeah, certainly 100 is is for me. That's 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 not even. Uh, that's not even something you could, I would consider kicking the bucket before then. Uh, but you know, how far beyond that? It doesn't matter as long as as, pro, as long as I'm productive and I'm contributing. I mean, that that's what I for me. That's what, and I think for you, and that's why we're doing this podcast because it's about making a contribution and helping others. Absolutely, and I want to be in the gym in 20 years' time with another young bloke. <laughs> saying, I want arms like him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're blushing. Yeah, I, am. I am actually, yeah. <laughs> now, another time I did see you blush, but it was because of physical activity. You just got out of the water at Mossman. I was down there with a mate exercising. We bumped into each other. I think we did the fist pump. It was early COVID. I said, how are you? He said, oh, mate, i got all this time because your leadership business like ours had stopped running and I want to talk to you about that in a moment. But you said, oh, I'm kayaking with my mates. I'm walking with the wife and dog and it's yeah. great. Yeah. I've got all this time. Fast forward another four to six weeks, I ran into you. How I, mate, I've never been busier. Got a phone call. <laughs> you know, phone call, Peter Volandis, take us back to yeah, that. Yeah, so call. the synchronicity of the universe. So, yeah, my, my business really tanked because my business is pretty primarily face to face, running seminars uh, and so on. So that pretty much tanked. And then not long after that, uh, as that started to wind down, uh, the rugby league season, was put on hold uh, and I'm a commissioner of the NRL and so uh, we were in a, a dire situation. You know, we were losing in the order every week that we weren't being playing competition was around about $13.5 million a week going down or burning, going up in smoke. Uh, losing $13.5 million a, a, a week. It, well, that, that's minimum. That was central, that's, that's central money plus other money that the clubs were earning but centrally we were learning about losing about that much per week. So – we had to do do what I what we could to see if we, how if we get the game back up and running as soon as possible because you know the game was on the edge of the cliff looking at at, at financial ruin. So um, I had a conversation with Peter Volandis who asked me would I uh, get together a team and, and lead a team to to get the game back on 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 the road as soon as possible, uh, which I subsequently named Project Apollo, um, and we managed to. We 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 looked at uh, so I got the team together and then I, I sort of put down a challenge. I said we've got to look deal with the facts, and, uh, uh, work through the hysteria, which is essentially what was going on at that particular point. Just to go back to that time for people listening, 
There was so much hysteria. You know, yeah. People were working from home. Yeah. There was this talk of mass job losses. Job keeper, job seeker hadn't kicked in yet. It was and like the infection every- rates in New South Wales were you know, going up by roughly two hundred infections a day, and and the, the the trend was going upwards. This is this is late March. Uh, Did you have any moments where you thought, oh, hey, Peter, uh, that's a really good idea. <sighs> I'll give you someone else's number. Or did you just go, right, let's let's do this? Yeah, no, no, I I, I just I wanted to get my teeth into it, you know, because I, I care for the game. I've been involved with the game at the top level for 40 years as a player, coach, administrator, commentator, all that sort of stuff. So for me, the game's given me a lot. So, you know, I, I felt that I had some leadership expertise that I could get together a team. I knew nothing about COVID, knew nothing about inf- infectious diseases other than certainly uh, got a few wounds over the years. But other than that, I didn't have any expertise. So so it was about getting the right people together um, and the right people was people with the right skills and people that had the character and, um, you know, that, that could, you know, for example, be trusted, um, that were could maintain confidentiality uh, and that genuinely wanted to, to come on board the team because they could make a contribution. So so we got the right people together uh, and then we started then dealing with the facts uh, and to that end we then, uh, there was an expert that we got on board who was just incredibly valuable. We got three experts actually. One was an infectious disease uh, expert who'd been working with the Roosters who had actually had knew the rugby league scene. Um, we got a, a decontamination expert. Her name was Dr. Cassie Workman. We got a, a, a guy called uh, Shane Healy who was a decontamination expert who um, he was a special forces soldier, special operations soldier who got out of that and do, doing consulting. So he was great for doing all the um, all the uh, training and um, and uh, playing venues for mm. in terms of uh, hot zones and danger zones and safe zones. Because everyone like. was telling you, interesting the team you put together, but everyone was telling you from the Queensland Premier to New South Wales Premier to politicians, even Morrison was getting on the act, getting quoted. So you had everyone coming at you. Yeah. So when you are in a situation like that, and this question is specific to small business owners listening to this, what did you do or what, what is the process when you are under the pump and everyone's giving you advice? Yeah. How did you sift through all that and go, right, bold, we're going to be on the park back in May? Yeah. And I can remember reading it at the time. I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> Junior, how, how are you going to do that? Well, what we did was, um, yeah, you, you make a good point. There's a lot of white noise around and, and energy is a finite resource. So it's really about staying focused on what it is that we want to, to we want to get to, and how do we want to get there? But also, what stuff is is not of value? Push that aside. Your comments not of value. Your comments not of value. That email you just sent me about you know, I'm irresponsible is not of value. Don't get distracted, and stay focused. So we did that. Um, and talking about experts, we we got somebody on board who was absolutely the crown jewel in terms of. The expertise, and we got a we had a guy called uh, Professor uh, Professor David Heslop, and he he's a guy who is also uh, the COVID advisor to the uh, Defence Force. So he's got connections with the government, understands public health, all that sort of stuff. He was Special Forces soldier previously as well, and very practical. So when he came on board, um, he was able to help open us, open some doors for us. What we also were able to leverage, we were able to leverage the relationships we had with. Uh, government officials, ourselves, myself, um, and 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 uh, Peter Volandis was was great as as an ally uh, to the team as well because he was able to leverage his relationships. And what what we were able to do was we were able to put ideas to the government 
And these are ideas that our, our professor, that we worked up with our professor on initiatives that they hadn't even thought of. For example, to get the warriors into Australia, originally they were going to have to go into a hotel quarantine like everybody else. So we, were the, we put an idea to the government, can we bring them over and we put them into group quarantine where they can train whilst they're in quarantine? Because um, what, what our experts were telling us was getting to that May 28 date that we got to, uh, and that was only eight weeks after I put the team together. Um, we had to work back. Well, sorry, we had to sort of say, well, listen, when we, the, whatever date, start date we come up with, the players have to have three weeks in training to condition their bodies before they we, 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 we play. Now, to get to that point where they can go into a, a, a quarantine period or the teams can start training, how long is it going to take us to get all the biosecurity protocols in place? Anyhow, that's how, how we worked it out. Um, and and when, I, when I said this to the team initially, uh, we had a meeting on, May, on April 9th was our second meeting. This is where we had to come up with a date. And the reason I, I felt we had to come up with a date then was because uh, the calls to our counselling hotline for the players, uh, which is basically um, uh, the mental health issues, had doubled. And, wow. we were, and it, was, it was increasing. So... So just as context on that for anyone who's not an avid rugby league fan like myself yeah. and you, is players weren't playing. The yeah. longer they don't play, the more likelihood they're not going to get paid. They had taken. Well, yeah. So, so um, there's two things. Firstly, the first thing is that they've come off a really hard off season, played two games, so they're in peak fitness after a couple of games. All of a sudden, bang, the rug gets pulled away. Like everybody else, they're they're unemployed. Yeah. So. They not only did they uh, not have any um, any physical way to get their physical aggression out, yeah, when they were in prime condition for, um, they had no sense of when they were going to restart, when this was going to be. So for me, it was really, and, and having my experience in the game, was really important that we uh, we come up with a date that they could set, not just the players but the staff as well, uh, and also the fans could could set a, a line of sight to where we were going to restart. Then then we could get everybody on board to support us to work towards that date, including the government uh, who wanted to get have, want to have somebody just kickstart the economy. And and that's one of the things we got a lot of encouragement and support from the government uh, from. Gladys Berejiklian and her, her government in New South Wales, from the Prime Minister, the federal government, from the Queensland, for the different governments. Uh, even the New Zealand government, they they really supported us because they allowed the warriors to fly out of New Zealand into Australia when they weren't allowing any flights in and out of the country. So, you know, it was a, it was a joint effort. And when we set that date, it, that's one of the reasons why Apollo uh, resonated. So for people who are young like yourself and can't remember when the, oh, when the man I, like, I've watched the movie yeah, with Tom well, Hanks. Well, I sat in the classroom and watched them land on the moon. That's why I can remember it. Yeah, so I, I remember it and I thought, wow, this is amazing. But how, how old were you? The context, I was nine, nine years of age. Yeah, and in 1969, July, when it landed, and and I can remember um, the, the, you know, the, the, Context to that was in 1961 when President John F. Kennedy said we're going to put a man on the moon by the end of the decade, the scientists at NASA, the story goes, just sort of, well, I started laughing. I said, he's kidding. But Kennedy said, I'm going to throw all the resources at you so you make it happen because they're in a race against the Russians as well. Mm. Anyhow, when they did it, it was just amazing. So nobody thought we could we could get the competition up and running as soon as we did. Um, that was the challenge. And, and the, the Project Apollo took on a, a sort of a, 
a life of its own really and, and, and allowed everybody to get behind this project and uh, and it's been great. It's a good story. It's a, more than a good story. It's a it's a great lesson of leadership and it's, a, it's an example of no bullshit leadership, which I want to ask you your thoughts on that in a moment. But before I do, when you watch the grand final, apart from probably cheering for like everyone else outside of Melbourne <laughs> going for the Panthers, <laughs> um, amazing grand final, what did you think? Like did, did you actually sit back and I can see you taking a breath in as I say that. Did you go – Wow, we 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 got this together. No, because because the Apollo mission uh, to land on the moon wasn't that wasn't the finality of the mission. The mission was to get to the moon and get back safely. So the Apollo, our Apollo version, is not over yet. But yeah, the grand final was was um, it was great to experience that, uh, even though it's not the end of the journey yet. But to see that that huge. Marking this line in the sand and uh, say, well, we've got to here. Uh, in, 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 and I've got to give credit to the players, to the to the staff that are in in the in the in the um, bubbles because those bubbles are very very restrictive. Like um, t- to put it in context, they get up in the morning. Okay, they, they've got to fill in a, a, a phone app. It's got fifteen questions on the on the app. From you know, for a, have you got a cold? Have you got a sore throat? You got, and then you've got to take temperature temperature check at home. Uh, if your temperature is high, you're not allowed to go to training. They go to training, get temperature tested again. They go inside the bubble. They're not allowed to go anywhere else uh, to and from training. They can go to the shop and get something. Go immediately home. They're not allowed to go to the beach. Not play golf. They basically uh, either at home at training or in their own car. They can't go on a taxi or an Uber or a bus or any of that sort of stuff. That's that's basically been their their world. Uh, and and there's still the Origin players that are still in that bubble and those guys that are still with the Origin have been going in the bubble pretty much all year. So it, it, there's a lot of discipline there um, but the players realised if they had a breached uh, and we got an infection and the competition was closed down for a period of time, it would have affected their pay packet and mm. it would have been uh, significant consequences for the game. Mm. So I mentioned the no bullshit leadership. Is that something you learnt through your sporting days as a player? Did you have coaches that influenced you or is that something you've really picked up in the corporate world? Because you've got a business, Wayne Pierce Advantage, and you do a lot of teaching uh, with teachers, with leaders, with coaches. So where, where did that no BS approach come from? Um, I think when I look back, I, I, I sig- serious, significantly shifted when my father died when I was 14. So I'm the eldest of three kids. Um, when he died, I went off the rails for, for a little bit and then got back on track. Um, and then I just, ever since that point, I've sort of been captain of footy teams at juniors and senior level. I've been school, I was my high school captain. Uh, there's just a sort of a leadership uh, I don't know, an ownership of my, my own behaviour that lends itself to, to leadership. And and then I've, as I got older again, I actually uh, went into the space of actually studying it and, and, and that study that I did helped me go to another level. Well, it did because I've done your leadership course, PCM, Process, <laughs> yeah. Process Communication, Communication model. model. Yeah. And I sat there for three days and I was actually surprised with a few things. I was surprised first. You didn't talk about footy much. And a lot of times the ex-netballer, the ex-golfer, the swimmer, the track and field, when I was. And in fact, I said to you during the break, I think on day two, have you got any footy stories? <laughs> <laughs> but credit to you, you have really gone into the science of leadership. Because, you know, you know, a lot of 
ex-footballers, even good salespeople are suddenly jettisoned up to become a leader. Yeah. And they can be terrible leaders because they were really good at the craft. It doesn't mean that they're good at leading men and women. So you you dug deep, right? And you looked at the science, building that with the art. So out of that, you've got a really nice, I wouldn't even call it a philosophy. It's a model. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, great leadership starts with self-leadership. Yeah, and we don't get taught at school. We don't get taught at, even at university. We don't get taught how to manage our mental state. We don't uh, understand mindset. We understand mindset's important, but we don't understand how to deal with us when, when that doesn't when it goes astray. And so many uh, you talk, you make a very good point. So many people who are in leadership roles, they actually uh, graduate into a leadership role. Most people graduate in a leadership role because they're they're a, 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 yeah they're, they're the hardest worker. Um, they, they, they're good with relationships, so they're up, good up with managing. Um, maybe they they bought a business and that business grew, so they become the boss of that business. Um, all of these reasons that people graduate into leadership roles uh, are based on on uh, skills that they developed that lend itself to a management type of leader. So so managing people, okay, into the detail, but leadership per se is much more. Uh, about the big picture and about people and 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 guiding people, inspiring people, coaching people, than the technical side of the managing. And and if you're going to be successful at running a business, then you've got to you've got to balance the management stuff, which is important. You've got to go into that stuff when there's a crisis because you've got to get back into the weeds. Uh, but business as usual is the leadership stuff, and unless you really work on that, it's not going to just happen. So people can get stuck and default back to managing their people and that tends to choke the people and doesn't allow the people to grow. And also it sucks you down into a space where you're high stress and you're trying to do everything because you haven't developed and grown your people. Um, Why haven't you done that? You haven't done that because you don't understand the skills that it requires to get there or the mindset that's required. So I've put a lot of time and effort into understanding this over the years and and, uh, it's something that... Yeah, I think a lot of people can benefit from. Mm. Did you have a leader that comes to mind or a couple of leaders that really influenced you or is it just that broad experience from footy and coaching and I, I miss Commissioner on the introduction. How could I forget that? And music, like being in a team, we're going to talk about your band as well. Yeah, yeah. But it's it, was it one or two people? Was it the conglomeration? Yeah, of now there's, of there's been there's a whole lot of people have impacted me positively over the years. Um, you know, like a lot of people say, you know, I want to be like that. I want to be a leader like that person. We, you ain't going to be a leader like that person because you're a unique person with a with a. He hasn't got the same fingerprints as you, or she hasn't got the same fingerprints as you. So it's a different person. So yeah, you can take some qualities. I admire those qualities. Can I blend that into who I am? But you've got to be your own person. And um, you know, for me, that's 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 what I've. I'm constantly looking, still learning. I mean, for me. Um, you know, learn, unlearn, relearn is my mantra. You know, this 21st century world where it's just changing at a rapid rate. We've got to, we've got to learn, we've got to unlearn, and we've got to relearn. I'm just looking at Aaron, and Aaron's eyes are going like this, and mine are as well. We just done a video on that last week. Yeah, on the Buddhist philosophy Shoshin, which right. is to learn, yeah, unlearn, yeah, learn again. Love it because yeah. what happens, Wayne, is so many people go, oh, you know, I'm. You know, you know, 45, I think of my maths, I'm 45. <laughs> <laughs> maths maybe wasn't my strong point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm this old and this is how we do it around here. Yeah. But I love that you've taken what you've done, but then you pull it apart. How do we relearn and then go again? It's yeah. so important. Well, the only way I was competitive as a footballer was to 
to actually because I, I wasn't I wasn't as big as other guys. I had a bit of speed, but I wasn't the quickest guy on the team. Uh, I certainly was as I wasn't as uh, skillful with my hands. The only way I could be competitive was to stay ahead of the curve in terms of preparation. So back in the early '80s, I started playing first grade in 1980, uh, and leading up to that, and in the in in when I was playing footy, um, I, I I was constantly looking at at how I could get an edge on others. So it was looking beyond what is to what can be, and 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 that learn unlearn re, re, Learn, unlearn, relearn mantra was something that, that's always been part of who I am. In fact, it's funny, you probably answered, I think, I know you have run and left messages on my mobile and you would, um, what, what I say on my mobile, what, what have you learned today? Yeah. Uh, because for me. I think I hung up because it was nothing. Like, <laughs> Shit. <laughs> you just always see missed calls. Oh, you're stalking me again. <laughs> just because I haven't learned anything, change yeah. your message, Junior. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it's, for me, it's, it's, it's just part of, of how we can stay contemporary and, and stay continue to add value to ourselves. Hi, we hope you have been enjoying this podcast so far. Don't forget that we have plenty more podcasts and content just like this on NAB Business Fit. Go to www.nab.com.au forward slash business fit for more content to support your physical and psychological well-being and to help you take care of business. And one thing that I've had to do as a small business owner, and I'm sure so many people listening to this have had to do to stay contemporary, is having tough conversations. Yeah. And uh, do you have a framework for that? Because it, it can be really, really stressful for a lot of yeah. people. And if you don't have the tough conversation, it then blows up and escalates. So well, you can't someone- be a leader. If you, if, if you don't have a, aren't able to have a tough conversation, it's difficult to be a leader. Okay. Now, there's a huge chunk of the population, a huge chunk of the population who don't feel comfortable with that because that's the way they're wired. But you can still have the conversation. In you'll still it'll still feel a little uncomfortable, but you can have it in a safe way by starting with transparency. You start open. You've got to actually be open about why you're actually having this conversation. So you know, Andrew, I'm I'm a little uncomfortable about having this conversation. You know, uh, because of blah blah blah. But what I want to achieve, you let them know what the objective is. Uh, what, what but I want to do get this, and then uh, what you know. Let's talk about that, okay? And then deal with the facts and not deal with the uh, not get captured by judgments and opinions. So, I mean, that's a, a simple framework, but uh, a little bit more detail to that. But it's it's something that um, yeah that, that leaders really need to understand and practice because it, if you don't <coughs> excuse me engage in the difficult conversation, maybe it's performance management conversations, you push you kicking the can down the road. And at some point, you've got to deal with it. And in the meantime, there's a whole lot of other baggage is going to be accrued around that or maybe caused because of that. Well, some of the difficult conversations that business owners have had is with staff. And yeah. I had this yeah. as well. It was, it was yeah. challenging to say to staff, look, we've got to go into JobKeeper and cut your hours back. Yeah. And the reason we're doing this is because we want the business to be sustainable. Yeah. And I know if I don't do that, we may not all have jobs. So I think it's really important that framework you've spoken about for anyone going into a tough conversation to breathe first of all, and I learned this in sport, and I think uh, it can we can go, oh, sport, this is what we learn, we apply it to business. It doesn't always apply, but one of the things that I really think does, when you're in a sporting team, you have those tough conversations because you're on the road together, men and women, sometimes for months, and it festers. So you but get taught are, quick. You're exactly right, but what you do do when you're, you're a professional sporting team, you actually debrief after every game, and every game – the debrief after every game includes what you did well, 
but actually what didn't work and they're uncomfortable conversations that uh, the coaching staff will have with you but other players need to have with each other mm-hmm. and and that's when a high-performance environment really does, does come to the fore uh, and that's I think what a lot of lessons that businesses, uh, small businesses or big businesses can, can take from professional sport is that, um, you know, you, if you cr- create an environment of high trust, yeah, uh, an environment of accountability and clear expectations, you can have those conversations. Mm. Do you still do that debrief now for you in business? Do you deliver a workshop? If you do media work, Project Apollo, do you sit back and go, right, what have I done well? But what can I improve? Absolutely, so, yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know, we'll, we'll – we'll, uh, We'll do a deep, full debrief on the season uh, as soon as the origin's over. We'll go through and look at, at, at all aspects of on-field play, uh, off-field play, what could we have done better uh, with Apollo, what worked well also. Um, and, I mean, it's, it's, it's part of any high-performance organisation. So, I mean, it'd be ironic if the, 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 the players are doing it on the field and we're not doing it off the field. Yeah. You know, that would be uh, – not ironic, it'd be a satirical, really. I think I knew the answer. I would have fallen <laughs> off my chair if you no, Andrew, I stopped doing that, mate. Just learn, don't ring me up anymore. That's right. Now, part of doing research in a podcast, we can go to the internet and Google you and there's a multitude of stuff that comes about sport and commentary and what you do in the commission. But another part of researching is talking to people that know you. And I did that earlier this week. I spoke to one of your former teammates and a mutual friend of yours and mine. His nickname is Buckets. Yeah. Mark O'Neill and well, I, I had lunch with Mark out of Parramatta on Monday, and I said he, oh. he wouldn't like it when you say he's a teammate of mine because because he's he's about uh, twenty five years younger. I coached him. Okay, okay, and I said so with Wayne. I'm interviewing Wayne. What what can you tell me on Wayne? He said, Oh, there's some good stories. <laughs> 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 he said, Well, I can tell you is he was a team guy, and he said those that played with him being coached by him. It was all about team and it was about here's the rules on the team, put the team first, never put yourself first. Talk to me about well, what do you think when you hear a player like Mark say that? Um, oh, it's very humbling, very humbling indeed. I mean, but what, it, what he's talking about is the context of um, having a common purpose. When you have a common purpose and everybody's committed to that common purpose, it's easy to actually um, – make sacrifices for each other when you know each other's committed to that common goal. And, you know, I was fortunate that I played and coached uh, in organisations and particularly at the Tigers that was – there was a great vibe there where there was a whole lot of teams – there was a real spirit and uh, there was a purpose. And and for me, um, it's just, just a, a, a great experience and it's very humbling for – to hear Mark say something like that, yeah. Would you get back into coaching? Peter well, Volandi's rings. Okay, let's set the scenario <laughs> next year. Wayne, Wayne, I've got another project. Apollo part two. <laughs> All right, Peter, give it to me. We want you to go and coach. I won't pick a club because if anyone listens to this, they'll think we're having a crack. But would you go and coach a team? No, no, I, I do coach still. I, 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 in essence, the sessions that I run for, for clients, business clients, is coaching. Yeah? Um, I wouldn't go back into football coaching um, because, you know, for me, I've sort of expanded, in my mind, I've expanded up to a broader uh, clientele and that's, that's the business world. Uh, one of the things that business really struggles with is the concept of teamwork. They don't understand and don't have framework, a framework for that. Uh, in professional sports, in special operations in the army where you see great teamwork, there's not uh, 
there's there's real clarity around what it takes to, to create high-performance teamwork. But if you would ask the average boss in a business, what are you doing? Is, firstly, is teamwork important for your business? And they're all going to say yes. You say, okay, if it's important for the business, what are you doing to to, to uh, achieve peak performance in your team teams as far as teamwork goes? They won't be able to tell you because most people in business think that driving high-performance teamwork is going out and doing a team building day where you're you're climbing ropes or you're building a raft or you're doing like Have once, we had a, this once, chat, a, like once a, a year. Hey Wayne and Andrew, you've been arguing. There's a bit of conflict. Go build a billy cart. Hey, <laughs> together. You got to build it together. You got to together. Yeah, together. Hey, now get on well. Go get stuff, Mister <laughs> Teamwork. Oh man, I've seen some so, shockers over um, the years. My point is, yeah, and there's there's a place for having fun. That's morale building. But it's not team building. Yeah, team building is and team development, as I call it, is really about understanding the fundamentals that you need to work on. As, and which, which I mentioned, you you got a clarity of purpose. You've got to uh, create an environment where trust is front and center, and uh, and get people to model those behaviors. You've got to have clear expectations on where you're going, how you're going to get there. You've got to uh, understand how to keep yourself accountable and also have the conversation with others to keep them accountable. And you've got to understand how you can energise each other and so that you're celebrating your achievements and you're acknowledging the effort that people's put in, putting in on a daily basis. Why do you think sports teams go out of their way to high-five each other to, or to, to actually celebrate all the little things during games? It's because it energises them. And that energy is part of the, a huge part of what it takes to be a high-performing team, as you know. Two questions to pick up on what you've just spoken about. One's easy and the other one's curly. Which yeah. one do you want first? The tough one? You always or... start with the early, easy one, don't okay. you? Come on. What do you do for fun? My fun is, uh, well, I, I enjoy the, the, the kayaking, the, the ski on the, on the harbour. I love doing that. Um, and I just love researching. I love studying and I just love um, putting together the pieces of the puzzle that, that allow me to go down more and more rabbit holes to actually understand more about people, about performance, and about essentially about what you know, what makes the world tick. So I, I love all that sort of stuff. Uh, my wife thinks uh, I'm a bit geeky, but she's uh, she's I've been with her for a long, long time. Let's rule the world. They, all the billionaires, they're all yeah, nerds. Right? Yeah, Nothing I'm wrong a, with being a nerd. I'm a bit of a nerd, but I but I like to have a bit of fun. Why does she well. think you're geeky? No, I'm, I'm just joking when I say that. But um, no, she, she knows how passionate I am about about. Um, um, this this cause of, of wanting to understand what makes people tick and, and to help people really. Mm. It was that appreciative inquiry, isn't it, that we often have yeah, as a young absolutely, kid, yeah. like why, why, and you haven't stopped asking yeah. that. Uh, on the fun theme, the big hitters, when are they coming back? Where are they playing? Uh, How do we yeah, book tickets? Actually, yeah, that's that's the other fun thing. I forgot to mention that. Yeah, so I've got a, 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 we've got a cover band. Now the big hitters, um, well, we've wound up big hitters because we've expanded oh, into Aussie icons. Right. Now we're now Aussie icons, and and uh, uh, I play alongside of uh, Mike Whitney as well. Mike Whitney's in the band, former international cricketer for I Australia. I can't imagine the energy with you and Whit up front and stage. Eric Growth. Okay. Eric Growth in the band as Junior well. Junior so. or senior? No, no, senior. Senior. Yeah. So um, he's in the band with, and we've got some really good musos uh, as well. Uh, 
And yeah, that's a lot of energy up on. How, yeah, no, how do you work out who's going lead? You do like paper, scissors, rock? Because Michael, we, you know, he loves a crowd, doesn't well, he? We, 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 yeah, he's the promoter, as we talk about in PCM terms. He's, he's, he, he loves to be front and centre. But, it, but you know, it's, it, we, we bounce off each other pretty well. And, um, yeah, it's, real, it's, it's a lot of fun. And COVID's been – we haven't really done a gig all year. In fact, we've got one coming up at the end of November out, uh, out Penrith Way. Uh, but uh, as part of the Festival of Sydney, they've got all the bands happening again. So okay. we're, we're back up and we'll again. Put in the show notes, Aussie icons. Yeah, Aussie playing. icons. <laughs> out Penrith. I'm, yeah, one of, the, one of the gigs. It might be the RSLs, one of those gigs out there, yeah. Oh, must be fun. Just and, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. We just do the we do cover songs and, and uh, have a bit of a dance and have, have fun. It's, 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 uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely an outlet. Tougher question. Let's see if you dance on this okay, one Okay, this is a tough one. Right, uh, Female bank leader rings you up. Wayne, I've done your PCM course. Uh, I know all about the first responder. I know about the stress response. Great course. Learn it. You've got the rigor. I can see you really practice the art and science of leadership. I want you to come and run the business unit or the bank or the consulting firm or insert company here. How do you do that? How would you set up an operating rhythm inside a business? So... If there was, a, if there's a challenge inside, first I need to get a brief on on uh, where the challenges are, the touch points are, because touch points are really important. Uh, what expertise do we have internally? Um, do, do, where are the gaps? Uh, and then it's really about getting the people to uh, understand each other. So you're gonna you're gonna bring some new team team members in. Invariably, you probably would. You've really got to get people to first and foremost. You've got to get people to take their masks off and connect as people. Okay, because too often, too many people, particularly in the industry you're talking about, they take the masks, wear the masks to work every, every, every day because they feel there's an image to uphold. Well, why do you have – one of the reasons – not why, but one of the reasons you have great such, such great teamwork in professional sport and also in special ops in the Army, two disciplines uh, that you see great teamwork is because, you know what, there's no one wears a mask. You know what this person's all about. You know what makes them tick and you respect that diversity. You're different to me, okay, but in too many industries, commercial industries, there's this facade and people aren't prepared to go past that, particularly leaders, you know, because I have – but be yourself. Authenticity, it can't be achieved if you don't take that mask off. So I'd be encouraging that first and foremost as a, as a basis – for then having the conversation because you can't have the open conversations and you can't be transparent if you don't go through, uh, get that out the way first first up. And then obviously you work in, into what what are the issues that are holding us back, That why have you got me in here, and then go beyond that. But you've got to start with taking the mask off and it's something that often gets overlooked because what do people go to? They go to, okay, let's set our goals. Well, hang on a sec. We've got to actually start to understand each other. One of the, one of, on, on the first meeting that I had with Project Apollo, what I did was uh, I got everybody in the room and I went around the room and I spent a couple of minutes talking about why this particular person is brought onto the team and why they're going to be of value to us going forward. And that sort of set, set the scene and then we worked then uh, a lot cl- more closely because we actually under, understood and respected each other mm. uh, a lot more. I'm curious if some people, and, and it's getting better, like there's a lot more discussion around vulnerability. There's a lot more discussion around authenticity. In some cultures. Okay. Right, because eh? I, I, you know, I work across a whole lot of business, I can tell you, here and, and over in Asia. And, yeah, some cultures there are, but the vast majority still get stuck 
because there's there's a fear, a fear that I'm going oh, maybe I'm going to get found out, a fear maybe that they don't believe that that's necessary. Um, but yeah, in some cultures. So are we ticking the box almost on because you're you're passionate about this? So do you think oh. we go? Oh, let's be vulnerable. Let's let's be authentic. Done. Move on. Yeah. Like I mean, for example, you know, if you really want to know what makes people tick, what I do in in, in the seminars I run is I get people to pair up, okay, and I give them a topic, and uh, the topic might be, what's the most courageous thing you've ever done? Okay. This is after a few warm up topics. Like, uh, so if you're sharing with me what's the most courageous thing you've ever done. No one's telling you to actually really open your heart up, but if you're honest with yourself, you will dig deep and you will and share. And so many people uh, come out of those conversations and say, "Wow, I didn't did never ever think, thought I would share such and such with someone that I don't know that well." And, and they feel so much more connected when they have those sort of conversations. And connectivity is really the key. It's it's that emotional connection that people have. That is the key to great teamwork. I love seeing your passion on that because a lot of people go, yeah, yeah, there's more vulnerability, more no, 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 it's not just ticking the box. No. Do you think your background that you got to know yourself much better at a young age because of hardship? Going to Balmain as a young kid, really in your teenage years, you had some big, strong blokes around you to say, no, I'm not going to drink alcohol. So you've obviously had a very clear purpose or Simon Sinek goes, why? You're North Star. I, I can't help but think a lot of people, and I know because you know, we coach in similar industries, yeah. and you ask someone, what's your purpose? Something, 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 blah, 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 customers, dun, dun, Australians go, no, 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 <laughs> that's your companies. What's yours? Yeah. And some people just go, I've got no idea. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel for people when, and there's so many people out there that don't really connect to who they are. Uh, well, they don't really connect who who they are to really what they feel great doing to where they want to get to that's going to help them get to feel aligned. And that alignment is something that I've stumbled over. That's it, just happened. I really haven't stumbled over, but I've, I've just been listening to, to my what it is that I, I'm satisfied by. And there'd been, there's been a couple of really big turning points in my life. One was the end of my footy career when – I finished my footy career and I, uh, at, at the age of 30 because my knees wore out and, and I pretty much just uh, packed in 11 years of, of the, at, at the top level, first grader, and playing in the national football, that sort of stuff. I, That's pretty young in today's terms. Now it, now it is. Back then it was, was because you had to work a job back then and you're training and it's was, it was pretty demanding. But um, at age 30 I finished playing and then what do I do? I, well, I'm, I'm sort of selling some advertising as a gig. I'm, I'm doing a bit of media and uh, that was it. I, I fell because when I was playing, I was actually fully aligned, and then it come to the end of the end of the cliff. Mm-hmm. So I was I was just going through the motions for three years, and then I got an opportunity to coach. Yep, and then coaching. What happened was I, I'm back in the sink, and I coached for seven years. And then what happened was that the last year that I coached, about halfway through, sorry, I coached for six years, and then that was the Balmain Tigers, and then Balmain and West joined together. And I was given the gig uh, of coaching the West Tigers. I was, I was given a three-year contract, but I walked away at the end of one year. And the reason I walked away was we started the year really well, uh, but I was working really long hours. I was getting home, leaving home at 6.30 in the morning, getting home at you know quarter past eight at night. I had three young kids. Um, my wife was doing, doing a, a really good job looking after the kids, but you know, for me, I wasn't there for them. Anyhow, it was in late July of that year, 
I got up early in the morning to head it off and I got halfway to the office, which was a Burwood in those days, and uh, the, my phone rang and it was my youngest daughter on the phone. She's crying on the phone. Mummy just told me you're not going to my zone running carnival this year. And and the backstory to that is I couldn't make it to a school carnival because I had something more important, which was the footy stuff. Mm. Um, and I said, if you make the zone carnival, I'll come along to it. But something more important came up with the footy stuff again. I couldn't make the zone carnival. So, and I said, oh, I can't make it. And, and, and I said, this is going, but but get mummy to put you on afterwards and tell me all about it. I want you to be there. Anyhow, so pulled out the I friends. pulled over into a garage at Ride and sat there for about 15 minutes after the phone call because my head was spinning. I'm thinking, what sort, of, what sort of a father am I? What sort of a person am I? So what happened was I made the decision in the car then and there that I was going to quit at the end of the year, another two years on my contract. I didn't tell anybody until the end of the season. I told my wife when I got home and she didn't believe me. Uh, but at the end of the season, I went and saw the chairman uh, and told him that, no, I, I can't do this any longer. Uh, it's, it's causing problems with me and in terms of the way I feel about the family and I'm letting them down, blah, 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 blah. Anyhow, cut long story short, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for my daughter to, for, that, for mm-hmm. that phone call because I actually quit coaching. Uh, footy coaching and I moved in this direction that I've been doing for 20 years now, which is working with corporate. So I took that, the lessons learned from footy and my life into the business world and uh, it's been fantastic. I love it. Don't think yeah. there'd be many coaches who've gone to the chairman and said, hey, I'm out. It's normally the other <laughs> way around. You know, we're having a look yeah. at the results sheet, Junior, and <laughs> there's more L's than W's. Mate, uh, no, thank you. Uh, yeah, no. Clear your locker out and get out of here. Go spend some time with your kids. Go to the zone carnival. Exactly. What what did your chairman? What did the players say? Were they surprised? Yeah, yeah. So they 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 were surprised. Yeah, I mean it, we were a tight club. Um, and and bear in mind this is the so this is the first year of the West Tigers. It was a tough year to coach because I at the leading into the season I had to sack half because there were two clubs come together. I had to sack half the players, half the coaches. Uh, had to sort of work with two boards that really didn't want to join together. Mm. Um, yeah, that that was layered on top of the hours that I was working and all that sort of stuff. So it was it was uh, yeah, it was pretty tough. And and the players, you know, they I think they understood the workload that that I was under. And I gave told them why I wasn't coaching. But then the media comes up with as the media do. There's got to be some conspiracy. There's the players I think have revolted against him, and that's what's happened. So the story came out that the players revolted against me and all that sort of stuff, which is absolutely. You rubbish. can't have a rugby league coach or a coach of any sort of professional football who <laughs> makes the decision based on values and connection and family. Ah, oh, this is not done. Let's make something up. Hey, so to close out, the female leaders rung you up. You've given a great overview of getting the guard down. You know. Yeah, BS yeah. and everything, yeah. uh, get in there, connect, and then they offer you the role, big role, meaty role, good job. You can turn a culture around, a big company. What um, do you say? Are you asking if I would do the yeah, role Yeah, would now? you do it? Would you go no, and no, work no, in a big no. corporate? I, I, for me, I, I actually enjoy the, the flexibility of working with, um, with different people, different cultures, different teams. Uh, and for me, th- that variety is something that's really satisfying, really stimulating. I, I, I have had offers to go into companies. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. That's why I yeah. asked. Yeah, I have had offers. But uh, I don't – for me, I, I actually enjoy the flexibility of, of, of spreading myself around. So you have an <laughs> offer, you say no, they ring back and have you learned anything today, <laughs> Wayne? It's Carol. I'm going to add another zero. Yeah. yeah no, which- no, I, I just think for me – I think I can add more value to more people by um, 
just sharing the models that I have around performance in business, around teamwork uh, and leadership. Mm. So for me, yeah, no, I wouldn't wouldn't do that. Okay, so let's go from big kids to little kids because I know something you're really passionate about and your wife is passionate about as well is educating kids, especially those kids that don't have it as easy as other kids. Mm. So I'd love you to, to share what you're now doing in this space, educating. Yeah, so... You know, one of the problems for our education system, um, and not just uh, in the behavioural space, it's basically in, in, just in general general schooling space, is that teachers aren't taught how to deal with different types of kids. Okay, so, you know, we've got different personalities in every school. There's a whole range of different personalities. And, the, and kids are, are not all kids are going to sit there at a desk and write down and listen to what the teacher says and and in in a way that's very very regimented and structured that there's a, there's a small percentage of kids will do that but a large percentage of kids want uh want a little bit more interaction they want movement um they want playfulness that that sort of stuff so the teachers aren't taught this stuff yeah uh teachers aren't taught uh communication communication channels um uh, and so what I'm passionate about is is to um work with schools and teachers to actually help them understand how they can best, particularly public education. I'm passionate about public education. I'm a publicly educated kid. And for me, um, you know, the schools really, the the system has an obligation to future generations to educate teachers in a way that they are going to be better prepared to deal with all different types of kids. Uh, And for me, that's that's a mission for me um, is to actually somehow get the authorities and powers that be to actually get their head around this because there's a whole lot of focus and I read this in the papers constantly about performance in schools in Australia dropping down and and it's it's all about the focus tends to be on what the curriculum is. But the issue is not the curriculum. The issue is engagement of the students, yeah? So if you engage the students and you engage them through the way they want to learn, okay, then that's how we're going to get and that's which just has to be tailored, um, that's how we're going to get better results. But, but we're giving kids ribbons for coming 10th and participation awards, come on, that's got to be creating a lot more improvement, isn't it? I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm putting the fishing rod out there. No, no, you're exactly right. I mean, the thing is there's a focus on on uh, we've got to make the kids feel better. Hang on a sec. The world ain't like that. The real world is not like that out there. The real world is competition. So let's not shy away from competition. Uh, let's maybe in, in, in preschool you can actually do that, but but when they get into 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 primary school, high school, let's look at how we can get them uh, more resilient, so they can actually understand that that having setbacks and failure is actually on the path to being successful. Because I've never ever coached a player uh, as a football coach. Uh, I've never coached a player uh, in a, in a new skill, and that that player has got it first go. They've made mistakes on the way tr- to trying to perfect it. Uh, and then when they perfected it, yeah, where well, they look back and go, wow, geez, I made a lot of mistakes. I made a lot of mistakes. I'm sure you made a lot of mistakes uh, in the course of your – Still making them. And exactly. It's the biggest lessons. Yes. And, you know, I've spoken to you. One of the big things for me, I carried this uh, sort of a, a facade might be a too strong a word, but I definitely had the walls up as the performance guy. You know, yeah. I had done well at sport. I'd done well in business. I'd done well in relationships. Worked with national sporting teams. Yeah. <laughs> had yeah. a marriage breakdown. And – 
First of all, I didn't want to tell people about it because I I'd think you would think I was a failure. Mm. And secondly, it was just the embarrassment that, you know, the performance guy couldn't keep his relationship yeah, together. That's right. Once I realised that sharing that, first of all, getting some work and some support, a wonderful psychologist putting a team together to get over my own thoughts, and then when I shared that with others, it connects so much more. But what it gave me is a resilience and a grit. So you know, look at your story from 14 years of age with your dad to, you know, setbacks in football and injuries and then, you know, retiring, retiring yeah. at 30 from playing and then coaching yeah. and then leaving coaching. And mate, that builds that grit as you go through. And that's what I do worry with young kids yeah. where we say, oh, look, keep press a button, everything goes on, you know, yeah. drop and drag, yeah. you all have done really well, no feedback. We see it. Then they get into the business world and they get told that report's rubbish. The report is rubbish. Mm. It, it could be per, perhaps coached in a different way. Yeah. But then that kid often crumbles because yeah, right. they, there's no resilience. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And, and yeah, the, the, the ability to bounce back from setbacks is one of the key attributes of anyone that's been successful. You're never going to be successful if you don't learn how to suck it up and bounce back and have another crack. You know, everybody in life, one thing that's going to be certain, sure as, as, as the sun's going to come up tomorrow is that you're going to get knocked down in this lifetime many, many, many times. And you get two choices. You give up or you get up. And if you get up, that's the only option if you're going to keep going on. So you really need to learn how that how to develop a mindset that's going to allow you to believe that you can get up. And 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 that's um, it's very much aligned to, to op, being optimistic and believing that there is a way out. Mm, love it. So I'm holding up the rearview mirror uh, in your tender years so far, and I don't even think you're half made, <laughs> okay? When you look in the rearview mirror, what are you proudest of? Um, what am I proudest of? Yeah. Um, that's a difficult one. I suppose, I suppose it's the ability – what we're just talking about, the ability to bounce back from setbacks. For me, nothing's insurmountable, you know. Um, you know. I've had some pretty big setbacks. As I said, early on it was when my dad died I, when, I, when I started playing. Then I got um, 18, I got a, a hepatitis B, which back in those days there was no vaccine for that. So I was out for six months, missed a whole footy season, uh, detached a retina in my eye when I was 21, missed a whole season there. Uh I got uh, multiple other injuries and bits and pieces. I mean, it, it, but for me, it, it, I've just been fortunate that I've developed uh, a, a quality that, I'll, you know, if you knock me down, for me, that's just a challenge that I, that's, uh, is, is, is that will, if I don't get knocked down, I'm, I'm not pushing the boundaries. That's pretty much it. I saw you in the gym this morning. I'm not going to knock you down. <laughs> 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 I might wait another 20 years. <laughs> Uh, Review mirror, last six months. So through COVID, what are you most proud of? Is it Apollo or is it something you've done in your business or is it something you've done in your well-being? No, no, I think the project Apollo um, is something that you know, I look back on, on rugby on my rugby league career and it's probably the single biggest legacy that I can leave for the game is not playing for Australia, it's not – Captain New South Wales to victories or whatever, whatever. It's 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 the fact that I was given the opportunity to to draw together a team, to lead a team, uh, to get rugby league back on on track as quickly as possible, so we we could stay financially viable as a code and and also the the staff and players and um, all those 
the ecosystem of rugby league could get up and running again so people could earn, earn salaries. So for me that was, you know, I think that's definitely without a doubt, you know, the, the biggest highlight for me uh, in this COVID thing. Crystal ball. So now we're going for the rearview mirror oh, moving wow. forward <laughs> on two levels. Yeah. What is your business doing in a few years' time? So what's Wayne Pierce advantage? What does the business look like? How have you adapted? Like is it a different teaching model? Is it using technology? What does it look like? Yeah, so I've got I've actually got two businesses. One is uh, Wayne Pierce Advantage, which is me consulting with businesses. And and my vision in, in that space is to actually to really uh, lead businesses into a space where they absolutely do understand the productivity gains that can come with with driving high-performance teamwork and understanding the, the science of high-performance teamwork. Uh, the other business is the, is called Wayne Pierce Academy, and that's that's uh, really working with schools. And the vision there is is for, uh, as I mentioned, to to to, to uh, educate teachers as to how they can better engage with students to the point where the whole system starts to go up uh, a, a gear or two, uh, or to maximum speed, I should say, in terms of uh, performance, because students are fully engaged across the board. So for me, that's that's what I'm looking for. And personally, I'm, I'm interested in this answer. Uh, what, what else do you want to do? Um, for me, uh, that's, I mean, I'm not somebody who wants to, to has great ambitions about traveling the world or any of that sort of stuff. I mean, for me, it's, it's, I would like to, to do, to do a lot more work with, um, with children in, and, and um, young adults in that poverty space because there's so many um, so many people that are that are talented that don't have opportunities um, and because they don't have opportunities early on they lack belief but they've got an incredible talent mm. yeah um, as in physical talent sport wise or intellectual talent uh, that's not being harvested so for example yeah you might have a kid living uh, in a in a in a, a suburb that's that's peripheral suburb out of Sydney and and there's a facility that it, that if you could get to that facility um, and and um, train could maybe make an Olympic side because he's just got all this ability but can't get from there to there because the parents are working long hours they're on low incomes that sort of stuff so yeah I think that there's there's and, and so what happens is the the belief's not there because this student's, you know, or this child's not getting the opportunity, so they don't get the belief early on, so therefore they're not capitalising on on the the talent that they have. Have they had a role model like you had at that young age to teach you about goal setting and put you on a different path? That's right, yeah. So, you know, I think for me it's, it's, it's I'd love to um, in some way, shape or form create some sort of um, – vehicle for for students to have more mentors have access to more mentors to to have opportunities that they're not getting and i think that would have a huge impact on on um uh, via social conscience on on uh, recidivism rate in, in jails on, on incarceration rates all that sort of stuff so uh, yeah i think there's a lot of stuff we can do mm. and, um deep very deep. <laughs> it is. Now, I like asking all of our guests, where do you draw inspiration from? Apart from the last hour talking to you, you can see lots of different areas. But is there a book, a poem, a quote, a thing, a movie, a person? <laughs> is there one thing that you just go, bang, that's what I think of if I need to be inspired? Uh, I wish you had asked me before and I could have a think about it, but nothing off the top of my head. Um, nothing off the top of my head. I, I Yeah, no, I, 
I mean, I just wake up every day and, and meditate. And for me, um, because I yeah, f- look after my health and fitness and all sort of stuff, I just have a lot of energy. So I, I don't really need to reflect on and on sort of anything. I, I think you've got to dial your energy up. It doesn't show much. Like for those watching the video, you can look at I don't know. You shouldn't talk. I'm, I'm just mirroring you. <laughs> uh, um, for those that would like to follow you, connect with you to do your leadership course, which I've done and, uh, you know, my end, it was it was a really, really good program. I learned a lot about me, uh, how I respond uh, under pressure, but then also how other people respond. So if anyone wants to contact you or get in, in connection with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, you can you can check my website out at waynepierce.com.au or you can send me an email at info at waynepierce.com.au and uh, love to hear from anybody out there that uh, wants to, 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 to become better. Info at waynepierce.com.au. Now, are you on all the socials, as my dad says? I've got to get on. No, he said, I'm, not, um, I'm not a big social uh, media person, actually. I, I, for me, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm advocates. I, 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 my work comes from the likes of yourself, people that are, that, are, that, are, that have experienced a program or experienced what I do, and then they'll tell somebody else and tell somebody else. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I haven't actually taking that dive into social media and I haven't really needed to, to be honest. So um, I'm, a, I'm an old dinosaur, so to speak, as my kids talk, say. Well, an old dinosaur that is still learning, unlearning and relearning. Exactly. So I think there's some merit in that. And it's interesting in this interview series, Wayne, a number of people, some are right on the social, some don't do any and some are in between, but some of the people that aren't on, on social are still doing wonderful businesses, which I think does the millennials' heads in. How can you have a business without clicks and likes yeah, and swipes right. and everything? Well, it's about relationships and it's about no bullshit leadership and it's about authenticity and doing the right stuff and having passion and purpose. Oh, that's hard. Can't I just put up a picture? <laughs> do the work. you got to do the work. Now, I've got one final question for you. In our conversation today, is there a question you would like me to ask you to finish or do you want to flip it? Is there a question you want to ask me? Yeah, I would actually like to ask you a question, Andrew. You've you've done an incredible amount of um, study and, and, and research in the performance space. For you, what is the, is the uh, absolute epicenter of a peak performer? What, 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 what is it that really – if you tear everything back, what is it at the centre that uh, makes a champion? I got a oh, that makes a champion. Or, well, or, is that the epicenter of a of a, a, a champion or a peak performer? Ooh, okay. Can I answer that on two levels? Because that last yeah. bit was a flip. I thought, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah the- well, you've been throwing some curveballs at me. <laughs> you've done a bit of media, have you, over the years? It was actually funny when we started. I said, look, you've done a bit of this, but, you know, camera one, and you just said, yeah, I don't know how this works. Uh, first of all, I've got to quote Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi with his work on yeah. flow. Yeah. So I think what makes a great performer, and, and like you, we get to work with some wonderful people, with athletes, with business people, entertainers, uh, scientists, so a whole range of high performers. And a high performer is anyone who's you know, really, really kicking goals in what they do. At the epicenter of that is flow where time transcends. So yeah. you watch a ballerina and she's out or he's out and you know, there can be thousands of people watching mm. and they don't know. Yeah. You watch a, a footballer, you know, Mitchell, your son, and I know it was a proud moment when he kicked the um, goal for last year's State of Origin. Yeah, yeah? Um, He was in total flow. You watch a footballer do that. You watch a, a musician. You watch a CEO 
doing a market update and she's in absolute flow. That's mm. someone who's done the work. Yeah. Yeah. So they've done the hard yards. And back to what I said about this sort of drop and drag society, I love in high performance seeing someone who's in control of what they're doing and they've done the hard work. And then often when you ask them, how'd you go, Wayne? I'm sure your best game, mate. Yeah. How was it? I don't know. <laughs> I yeah, don't really right. remember it. It was yeah. just so easy. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. easy. So that's the first one. The second one was a bit curly. I'd say the second thing is about really, really making a difference yeah. and, and using that for a greater cause. And that's where I think someone goes on from what you've done to play football but then learn what you have about high performance to give back. Mm. So I think it's being in the zone but then how do you give back? I think that's we bring up a very good point there because I think far too many uh, sports people because sport – generally is is a discipline that you can't do till you're old, right? Um, and I think far too many sports people, when they finish their sports career, that's it. They're done. Mm. They don't realise that what they've done and accrued and the skills they've learnt during their sporting career is something that they can take forward to offer value to themselves and to others in other areas beyond their sporting career. I mean, that's what I was fortunate enough to understand. Um, but there's a lot of sports people that I see that don't actually join the dots and sort of see um, how they can that value that they've mm. accrued uh, can be transcended into another currency and offered somewhere else and, mm. and, and be of value somewhere else to other people as well. I, I think of it as having careers. Yeah. So yeah, you, you can have a career as an athlete or it might be at university or trading and then you go for another career and another. Mm. Yeah. So I don't think it's set and forget. I think you can evolve and have Yeah, careers. absolutely. That was a tough question. I might uh, scratch that off the list for future ones. I was threading. How did I go? How was my answer? very well, mate. That was really, really good. <laughs> I had, um, what can I do to improve? So you're the media. Like what, what, what makes a good interview? Because this is one we're getting asked a lot. So you've been interviewed heaps. What makes a good interview and I suppose what makes a really bad interview? Well, what, firstly, what makes a bad interview is someone that has a set of questions and I'm going to go in that order because, as you know, stuff comes up, you've got to be listening to that. And, and if you don't flow, talking about flow, you don't flow off that and, and, and pick up a point and go with, in that direction, it could be totally different to what you got down here, then the people that want to want to sort of sit and, and, and just go to what they do here and, and they'll ask you something that you just answered in that question but you weren't listening to my answer so you re-asked it and it just Can, can, you, like, can you say that again in two pages? <laughs> <laughs> you just answered what you, no, I get what you're saying though. So, so it's the fluidity? Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 the, it's the flow of it. I mean, so that makes a great interview and, and yours has been really, really good, yeah, really good. Um, as I said, the the, the the crappy interview is the one, the person that, that sort of isn't listening. You can tell they're not listening because they've asked you a question. You just half answered in that or you just answered in that in that previous statement. And, I, yeah, that's for me the difference between a really good interview and a, and a not so good interview. Because yeah. this is a learning and I, um, yeah, I know you but it's great talking to people. But you do see sometimes people – who've done lots of this. Like you, know, you would have done thousands of interviews yeah. over the years. And yeah. you can see sometimes press play if people ask normal yeah, that's questions. that's right. Yeah. No, no, mate, you, you, that's really good. Because, and the thing is too, because you know your topic, right, in, and you know this performance space, which is what you, we're talking about, you don't feel the need to go along this path as tightly as what you uh, some people would. If you don't know the space, then you're going to, oh, shit, I've got to ask this question next. Mm. So 
that's I'm from, that's my experience as people yeah, that it's, maybe it's just it's about having natural conversation, which is what you're all yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, and and at the end of the day, a good interview is 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 something that feels like a natural conversation, uh, where you know your what what you want to achieve, uh, you're stimulating the conversation, and I'm I'm just just flowing with you. I mean that, that that's that's what is a satisfying interview for me, uh, but I think it's also something that I like to. Watching people, when somebody just re- re- asks questions that aren't relevant or that have already been answered, shows they haven't been listening, and that's yeah. so was that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you were about to answer. <laughs> uh, look, I've I've really enjoyed today. I've, I've enjoyed that little bit at the end. I wasn't going to ask it about interviewing, but you gave some. Really I thought good we insights. actually stopped the tapes. No, no, we're still going. Um, can we do this tomorrow? Can we bookend our day? Let's. I'll meet you at the gym. I'll bring Holt, and yeah, we'll go we'll get a look. No, like mate, I really enjoyed it. It's really been been a lot of fun chatting with you. I've respected you for for, for a long, long time now. I've, I've seen you speak many, many times, mate. You. You've got uh, a real art in terms of the way you communicate. You've also got some wonderful messages and, and good luck with your oh, business yeah. as well. It means a lot coming from you. So Wayne, no, it does true. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Hey, it's Andrew again, and we hope you enjoyed that interview. Just a quick note to remember to please go to nab.com.au slash businessfit. We hope you really liked this episode and received lots of value, and we would love it if you can go to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast and click on the subscribe button. We'd also really appreciate it if you share it with friends or colleagues you think might also benefit from these messages. And we'd really appreciate if you can rate and review it. We love seeing your messages and love seeing your ratings. Okay, that's it for this time. We look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of NAB Business Fit.